Okay, so we are starting a new series today called Open Table. If you didn't get that, I'm Pastor Chris. I'm the pastor here at Table Life Church. I see some new faces, some reuniting faces, some old faces, and not by age by any means. But we just want to welcome you today, and I'm grateful that you're here in person. And then also we have a whole crew of people that are online. So can everybody turn around, and there's a camera at the back. If you would just wave to the camera Hi, online folks. We are glad that you're here with us. So awesome. So our scripture that we're going to start out this series with is taken from Luke chapter 5, verses 27 through 32. And I'm going to tell you a little bit more about the series, what we're going to talk about in just a minute. Um, But before we jump into this scripture, I, I want to ask you a kind of a broad question for this series. And that question is, has a meal around a table ever changed you? Has a meal around a table ever changed you? Think about that, ponder that. We're gonna come back to that later in the message. But for now, let's look into Luke 5, 27 through 32. So Luke tells us this story. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him, and Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. It's the word of God for today. Thanks be to God. Amen. So this new series we're starting today, and I'm going to explain this in front. Some people are like, it's not like the liturgical colors, right? We're going to talk a little bit about that. We're going to get into that. But this open open table idea, uh, it's kind of interesting, funny, that last weekend, of course, was Labor Day weekend. And, um, and of course, many of us celebrate that or maybe not so much celebrate that as like the unofficial end of summer. Do we have, have some people that are like, yay, fall, right? Like raise your hand, yeah, yay, fall, pumpkin spice, everything. And then we have like the summer people, like flip-flops for life, right? Like move to Florida, like summer forever, right? But we do something like mark the end of summer. And I don't know, I was thinking about this. I saw like some posts on social media, what people did to celebrate that. Um, I don't know if one of these maybe characterized your weekend. Um, was it a crab feast? Any, any crab fans in the house? Like you dump that whole big like half bushel, bushel, whatever you do on that paper. And then you like rip these pieces, you rip these animals apart, right? That's really what it comes down. They like look at you. They like, like have that little stare, but you love it because it's so fun. You get together with people to do that. You had the old bay on it, all your little fixins, everything there. Maybe that was for you. Um, maybe you celebrated um, by a either a barbecue or a cookout, depending on where you're from. Um, I grew up outside of Philadelphia, and it wasn't until I moved south that, well, we, we called things barbecues, that, this kind of thing. And then I moved south, and then like, I'm talking about barbecue, and they're like, well, like, which kind, right? Which kind, like the pulled pork? Like, do you want this fixing? We call them cookouts, right? So depending on where you're from, you call this a barbecue or a cookout, and maybe you celebrated that this weekend. Or... Maybe you visited the Kapona Festival 
and uh, food trucks. And I discovered something here in the Harrisburg area. My first experience was the deep fried pickle on a stick. Something not to eat if you're going to get your cholesterol checked that week after. But maybe you celebrated by having some food from a food truck sitting down the grass or at one of the tables there. But isn't it interesting that people, we people, we honor special occasions, whether it's the end of summer or something else, we honor special occasions around tables. Uh, Most of our experiences, uh, weddings, birthdays, funerals, sicknesses, someone has a new baby, what do we do? We celebrate with food, or we gather with food, or we send food, right? There's that wonderful thing called DoorDash that exists. But, but why do we do this? Because it shows care. It shows this means something. People mean something. That meals and tables have a kind of binding nature or quality to them that draws us together. And that's why I think like during the COVID lockdown that, that we all kind of went through when you were, had to be separate from others and you weren't able to gather for the birthdays, for the weddings, for the funerals, to, to, to get together. Zoom just doesn't cut it in those circumstances, right? There's no more, there's no smell-o-vision. Can't even smell grandma's cooking in the other room. And that's why I think it's just so important for us. And it's not just for our culture here, but it's also, it's around the world. That people have been feasting for generations everywhere. A table has such great power to bind people together in in our shared memories and also in our celebrations. And a renowned author, Maya Angelou, one of my favorites, she says this. She says, eating is so intimate. It's very sensual. When you invite someone to sit at your table and you want to cook for them, you're inviting a person into your life. I think we can connect with that, right? The presence of tables, and I'll even add the absence of tables in our lives, shapes us, shapes our culture. And what's interesting is that that we have four accounts of the life and ministry of Jesus, known as the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're written by different people, different perspectives. But one of them is the Gospel of Luke. And and Luke is an important one who, he's writing to basically a non-Jewish audience. That's the people that he's trying to connect with to tell the story of Jesus. He's writing to actually an affluent society. But he's the only gospel that mentions this in Luke 7.34. The Son of Man came what? Eating and drinking. And you say, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. The Son of Man came eating and drinking. Most of the major events in Luke's gospel surround a meal around a table. There's actually some scholars that have have written this. They said this in Luke's gospel, Jesus is either going to a meal, at a meal, or coming from a meal. And if you read the gospel, you can actually see that happen throughout. And so Jesus, Jesus, of course, is making people say that he was nothing more than a glutton and a drunkard. He just liked to hang out with people around tables. But tables are what bonded Jesus to his creation, and, and, and to us, as, as human beings, he spent so much time with people. And the meals became special occasions for him to communicate the nature of God's kingdom and what that means for each of us. And in the Gospel of Luke alone, there's actually 10 stories, 10 stories of Jesus dining with various people. Over the next seven weeks, we're going to look at seven of those stories 
But, but as we start off today, I, I wanna do a little bit of an overview though because the tables that Jesus meets people at, there's kind of like three different categories of them that I'd say. And, um, and if you're following along, they're in your, um, your worship guide. There's some notes there that you can follow along with this if you miss something. Also, it's posted online on our website if you wanna check that out. But, but basically, the, there's three types of tables where Jesus is present. And there are these. We have a picture that's up on the screen there. And there's these. Uh, the, the first being a recipient table, the one furthest on your left, the recipient table, where it, it's kind of like the, the further to the left is the presence of people that are following Jesus, who so say like believers or Christians, where the furthest to the right would be the, the more presence of a of secular society. But around recipient tables, that's where we would expect to see more people that are following Jesus. So a recipient table, for instance, would be this, that we celebrate here at Table Life Church just about every single week. Would be that we, we come to the table, we receive the bread and the juice, uh, we, we come together around that to remember all that Jesus did for that for us, and as we celebrate and remember that together. And, and so that's the kind of place that, that, that we gather with like the Christians, right? The people that, that are close. There's a closeness around this table where you open yourself up to God and to one another. But then there's this other table, this kind of middle table that Jesus also is present at in some of these stories. And that is the table where, where we are the host. We're the host, a place of hospitality, most often in the home. And it's interesting because Jesus visits and opens uh, tables in homes all of the time in these stories. But the third table, the third table, the furthest to your right, is that of the guest, where we show up as guests to other people's tables. We're not always the hosts. It's not always like, hey, I'm the one that's in charge here and I'm gathering people, but it's the places that most would assume would be like the kind of secular setting that we listen, we observe, we participate. Uh, we don't question in that circumstance whether Christ is here, but rather that will he be welcomed or recognized. So an example of that would be from this, this book that I and the staff are reading together called Faithful Presence. Um, the author tells this story where he and a friend are walking through their little downtown outside of Chicago, and they pass a bar. And in that bar, there's people eating, drinking, laughing, gathered around tables. And the author states to his friend, he says, you know, do you think God is at work here? And he kind of like shrugs. He says, he sure is. They just don't realize it yet. So, but the interesting thing about this, this is the, the really capstone of this, is what does this show? Well, it shows that there's no such thing as things that are sacred and secular. Jesus didn't do that. Jesus celebrated with his disciples around those intimate tables, but he also hung out with the sinners and the tax collectors. He was fully present in each of those realms. And so that's the reason why today we have a checkered tablecloth, thanks to Becca and Boscovs. And, um, and we have that around this table because just as a reminder that the tables, the picnic tables, our dining room tables, our kitchen tables, the tables out in, in the taco joint, you know, at KFC, those are all, can all be holy tables for each and every one of us. And they're also necessary in our lives. This isn't just about Jesus, but this is also about our presence. Think about yourself, like which of these three categories of tables are you most comfortable in? 
Hanging out with, if you're a follower of Christ, hanging out with only Christians? Are you drawn to, maybe you're, you're good at hospitality, you invite people over, or maybe, maybe you, you'd love to hang out with people that are different than you, maybe believe different than you, and you do a lot of listening. All three are necessary, because with just one, then something's wrong, especially as the life of the church. If we're only recipients, if we only come here and celebrate around the, the, the Lord's Supper, then basically the life of the church enters into this thing called maintenance mode, where it becomes just about us. There's no extent of reaching out and inviting those who are the poor and the powerless that we just sung about into the life of the church and into the community where they can belong. But on the other end, on the other end, if you're only existing in a guest table, you're exhausted. You're doing it. You're trying to like connect with people and listen and be there. And maybe you've been there before, but you're kind of disconnected from this. You're disconnected from, from the community gathered around you. And so, and in that too, there can be less and less transformation in Christ. But it's interesting because the story of Levi that we just shared earlier, the story of Levi is a story where, where we, along with Jesus, enter as a guest. And so each week, we're going to use these three as an example, and we're going to pick to say, okay, which story, which category does this story fit in? And so the story of Levi is one where Jesus shows up as a guest. Isn't it interesting? So the significance of Jesus' table choice uh, something we have to understand is that when you, were, when you would share a meal with someone in ancient times, it, it carried with itself a certain societal clout. There was basically this rule of dining, believe it or not. So if you wanted to climb the ladder in society or get a better job or be looked at better religiously, then you would seek out an invitation from a table from somebody that was just a little bit higher than you, Right? And, and so I was thinking about this. It kind of reminded me of like the middle school lunchroom. You remember those days, some not fondly, right? Like who did you hang out with? Uh, remember that first day of middle school when you walked in? I know we have some middle schoolers here that are like, I know this, I'm living this right now, right? And you like walk in, it's like you have your tray and you're like, oh gosh, where do I sit, right? It was like the thing to go like sit with the popular kids, or like the people that were, were had the in, or maybe the jocks, or, or maybe it was the, the kids, the computer geeks. I don't know. Like you sat with like your people, and you always were like trying to look and jostle for some kind of influence. Well, it's a similar occasion that in Jesus' time, you wanted to get good invites to good people's tables. And so who you chose to dine with was super significant. It was socially and religiously. But what's also significant in the story is to see what Jesus does what? He breaks the rule. He breaks the rule. Instead of dining up here, he decides to go down here. He chooses to dine with a known outlaw. This takes place, by the way, with that kind of after this. So this is at the beginning of Jesus' ministry when he's recruiting disciples, and he's going to be spending the next three years with these guys. And I don't know about you, but if that were me, I would be like checking their references I'd be like calling up like to see where these guys are coming from. Are they worthy? I would check out their Facebook. Like what have they been posting? What have they not been posting? Right? Are they worthy? But that's not what Jesus does. 
See, Jesus finds the most unlikely and unwanted characters, and he chooses to invest in them in the most dramatic ways. But first, where does he go? He meets them in their space. Their space. So Levi, if you didn't know, is actually Matthew, Matthew, who we have a gospel that's written from. And Matthew, Matthew is sitting at his booth collecting taxes like every day, like his everyday job. He's at work. Isn't it interesting from that perspective? Isn't it interesting that of all places that Levi meets Jesus is at work? Do you know that? Like somebody can actually meet Jesus at work, get to know Jesus for the first time at work. And that's where the majority of Jesus' disciples, the people that come to follow him, actually, that's where he meets them in the first place. But this isn't just any job that Levi has. And maybe you've heard this before, but tax collectors were kind of the enemies of the Jewish people. They basically took advantage of their own people by being employed by the Roman government. And so they were enemies of the Jews because not only would they collect taxes for the Romans, but they would add on a little bit extra for them. And because of that, they were mostly wealthy, very wealthy people, but they took advantage of their own people. They took advantage of their parents. They took advantage of their grandparents. They took advantage of their their neighbors, the people that they went to school with. Plus, they had the little surcharge. It's just like I was thinking about this. It's like today, right? We have people that are like out west in the wildfire situation that's still going on. It's like somebody going into there and exploiting somebody with a loan, right, on their house that they just lost. Like, who would, like that's just mean. You don't do that. Or, or even, I was thinking about this, it's like Hershey Park. You go there and you're like exhausted and thirsty, but of course you can't bring in your own water or your drinks or your food. They check every single bag, right? And they charge how much a bottle now? It's like $10.00 or something for a little bottle of water, right? They exploit that. They use a disadvantage. And if you didn't pay the fee in Levi's time, if you didn't pay the fee, you get arrested. You get thrown in prison. And so Levi, he's hated by his own people. He's hated. He's an outsider. He's not even just that. He's an enemy. He's an enemy. But yet Jesus invites him. He meets him at work. And what did Levi do because of that? He left everything. He left everything. So there's a scandal going on here because if you were, actually, if you were making this up, you would not make it up and have somebody like Levi follow somebody that's going to be the Messiah. Like, you just wouldn't do that. This is bizarre. This is insane. So the first scandal that's going on is that Jesus would pick Levi to invest in. Levi was not worthy. So the good news is, if you like feel totally unworthy to come to the table, to come to church, you know, you're like, oh, it's my first time in a long time. If they had holy water, be boiling right now, right? Like, well, if you feel unworthy, you're in the right place. Because Jesus, that's the person that Jesus wants to be closest to. But the second scandal is this, is the scandal that Jesus would choose to share a table with Levi. It doesn't just end with the invitation, So we're told that what is Levi's response when Jesus says, hey, come and follow me, and he leaves everything? He throws a party. He has a barbecue. He has the cookout, whatever you want to call it, right? He has the crab feast. He has everybody over, and he invites all his drinking buddies. 
He says, hey, guys. And, and so in the time, this, this was a kind of a way of describing the kind of meal that they had. It was called a symposium in the Greek. And it means actually the words drinking with. And it looks something like this. I think we have a picture of that. It's a little sketch. And so basically you had like nine seats at the table. And they were in this kind of like three-table or three-part table, and you would have these, these nine couches, so three on each side. And so the people that were in places of honor would seat, be seated in the middle, the very middle of the middle in the couch. And so it was interesting was that, like, people don't change very much today. Um, they would quibble over who got what couch. Like, if you showed up early, like, I want that one, right? Like, today we have things like, like shotgun, who call shotgun, right? Your kids do that. Some things don't change. But, but generally, you had like nine people present. And so they would have, first have their meal. And then they would drink a mix of wine and have conversation afterwards while reclining on their couches. And so Jesus attends this over Levi's home. He attends with joy. But then he says this. He reminds everybody this is why he came. He says in verse 31, it's not the healthy. It's not the healthy who need a doctor the sick. It's not the healthy, but it's the sick. See, some of us think that we're healthy, that we don't need Jesus, right? There's no need for grace. I'm good. I don't need Jesus. But, but Jesus is almost saying here, he's kind of playing here with some words. He's saying, basically, are we just fooling ourselves into thinking that we are healthy, that we're not sick? See, I believe that there is a thing called spiritual covid when we are unable to breathe in the breath of the spirit, that we're actually suffocating and we think that we are fine, but we're not. See, Jesus, Jesus emphasizes it's not the healthy who need the doctor, right? Who, not, he, who need him. But it's when we can recognize that we are sick. But the disruption that happens here. We don't recognize that this is a, such a disruptive scene of, his table cho- of Jesus' table choice. Did you know that Jesus can be disruptive? I don't know if you knew that. Like following Jesus can be a very disruptive thing. When we choose to follow him, he may disrupt your family. He may disrupt your job. He may disrupt your hopes, dreams, expectations. He may disrupt even the the way that maybe you were thinking about who God is and and who Jesus is, that he he disrupts us. And so Jesus is full of disruption in this story because his choice of tables angers which group? The Pharisees, the religious people, the religious professionals. In verse 30, Luke tells us, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained, grumbled to his disciples. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? The word for grumbled here, it's actually stronger than not happy. It's like horrified. I don't know what, what horrifies you. If it's, maybe it's something small like the spider in the bathtub and you can hear the scream from across the river in Harrisburg, Right? Or maybe, or maybe it's, it's uh, another undignified loss by the Philadelphia Eagles. I have high hopes this year, y'all. So I have very high hopes. But you were horrified that in that last few minutes of the fourth quarter, they let it go, right? It's horrifying. It's kind of like that why on earth? Like, oh my goodness. And so that's their reaction. But it's deserved, right? It's deserved because Levi and his friends, they've done such damage, they, they damaged their own people. They were traitors. 
They were, they were jerks to their own people. They're, they're stealing from their own people. But this is really disruptive on all fronts because it's disruptive just as it was for the Pharisees as it was for Levi and his friends. See, the passage alludes to the fact that Levi turned his life around. But not only that, is that, is that he, he wanted to introduce his friends to Jesus immediately. See, what he saw in Jesus was more important than what he had been doing. And he recognized that. But, but the thing is, Jesus doesn't make having his act together a condition for becoming a guest at his table. You don't have to have your act together and, and feel like you have everything perfect now and your life straight to welcome Jesus. But it's disruptive, especially for the religious people. For the religious people, right? And we're some of them, right? So those of us that are, have been in the faith for a while, we can identify with them because they have a picture already of who is worthwhile and who isn't. We do too. I have to say who is worthy of, of God's grace, who is too far on the outside because of the way that they're living or what they were involved in or, how the, or what they look like. And, and so it's interesting because they're missing, though, the point here, because they're missing what the kingdom of God is really, really about. Jesus never lived in a Christian bubble, believe it or not. He never lived with just people that, that believed in him, right? He spent most of his time with those that did not. And so it's a good question for all of us, too, to examine. If you follow Christ, are all your friends also followers of Christ? Are you spending any time with people? Or do you have any real, and I'm saying like real friendships here, you know, not just acquaintances or somebody you say hi to every, you know, two weeks on the street, but, but do you actually have relationships and if you don't follow Christ, if you're here and you're like, hey, I'm trying to figure out what I believe, well, now you understand why you don't know many authentic Christians. See, there's two things clear about the gospel here is that sinners were drawn to Jesus and religious people were repulsed by him. So Jesus, in conclusion here, Jesus' table was an open one. It was open to all, but is yours is your table, and I'm not just talking about maybe your dinner table, but, but your table, the table of your life, are you open? See, this story has a point. It, it begs a question to us because there's two worlds colliding here. Luke wants us to ask the, the reader or the listener, where do you find yourself in the story? Who are you? Whose table will you sit at and be the guest? Because Levi because of that invitation, he found the grace he needed in Jesus. And Jesus had everything to offer him. But of course, while Levi found the grace he needed, the Pharisees, what did they find? Anger and bitterness about, uh, about this, this open table that Jesus had. They, they had no open table. They had no open hearts. They were blind to their issue. They dug their heels in and held tightly that they were right. They decided who's in and who's out and whose table Jesus should be at. But when we recognize our own need for grace, it changes everything. It always brings us to the table when we're allowed to be the guest. And in many ways, this very story is an acted out and lived parable that points to the true nature of Jesus' kingdom. 
The number one illustration that Jesus uses in scripture in the four gospels about the kingdom is a table, a great banquet where we recognize our brokenness, but in our weakness, Jesus offers us grace and that he meets us there. He sits with us, all the disruption he brings. But with that, will you let go? My question to you today is, are you open? Are you open?